Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, before we jump in, I want to thank you for purchasing or pre-purchasing, I should say, my book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, which is on pre-sale now. You guys, wow. We are cooking up something special for all the people who have bought the book already on pre-sale, which is called How to Talk to Kids About Anything, which you can remember because it's the name of the podcast too. So keep your ears open. You'll just have to provide us with a receipt and you will be receiving some great perks. Woohoo! Okay, onward. Now, how do we talk to kids about differences like spina bifida, fragile X syndrome, autism, kids who are deaf or blind. Many times when children ask out of curiosity about a child's difference, they might see somebody on the playground or at a store or in school. A lot of adults are quick to just push it aside, like shush the child out of fear of embarrassing that child or the other parent or themselves. It can catch us off guard. And we may not know what to say in those moments. In chapter five of my book, which is on talking to kids about diversity and inclusion, I highlight one of my very best friend's children, whose name is Nate. He has cerebral palsy and hydrocephalus and is now a teen who is happy to tell you about his differences, but it's not always that way. So how do we talk to our own children when they do have a difference about that difference so that they aren't ashamed and they know that it's simply part of what makes them who they are, but not all of who they are. For this, we are talking to Beth Leipholz. Beth Leipholz is an inclusion and accessibility advocate who believes in creating a more accepting world for our children. As the hearing mother of a deaf child, Beth is raising her son, Coop, bilingually in both hearing and deaf cultures. She shares her parenting journey on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, where she has built a community of more than 1 million people around disability inclusion. She lives with her family in Minnesota. In addition to spending time with her family, Beth enjoys Minnesota summers, photography, ice, Americanos, CrossFit, and a good old-fashioned book. You can follow her online at Beth underscore and underscore coop. And she has a new book called the ABCs of inclusion. And it is a wonderful children's book that we will hear all about today. Welcome Beth to how to talk to kids about anything. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And it just kind of aligns perfectly with my whole mission. I'm so thrilled you're here. Before we get into the idea of what this means to talk to kids about inclusion, to have a more accessible world, can you tell us what has lit you up and what got you so interested in inclusion and accessibility? Yeah, I mean, I was raised in a very, you know, inclusive home um, and talked to about it from a young age, but I think it really became different and more 
um, more personal to me when my son was born. Um, so he was born profoundly deaf. He has Wardenburg syndrome, which is the cause of his deafness. Um, and it just really opened up my world to number one, being a special needs parent um, and the challenges and also the beautiful things that can come with that. Um, but also thinking about how I wanted to raise him to understand that, you know, he is different than other kids and that's not a bad thing. It was never something that I wanted to be like, no, you're just like other kids because he does have unique challenges, but he also has these amazing like benefits too. Um, so my, you know, having that child who you just love so much and you want them to be confident in who they are, but also be able to explain you know, their differences and their needs and be an advocate for themselves. So that's really what has, like you said, lit me up in these past three years with him. Excellent. So as you know, this podcast is all about talking to kids about tough topics. So you are in the right place since you have created this beautiful community of parents who are all working to create a more inclusive world for their children. How and when would you suggest we start talking to our kids about these differences that they may see in the world amongst their friends, on the playground, uh, at the store, in school? When should we be starting those conversations? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's never too early because I feel like that's a common answer, but I think it really depends on your own child's trajectory. I mean, with Cooper, obviously we use sign language as well. So I, you know, we started kind of implementing some signs like that um, for him to be able to understand, like, these are your cochlear implants and um, they help you hear that type of thing. But I think it really starts to come more full circle once their language development takes off. So for Cooper specifically, I mean, he's three now and obviously was not hearing anything for the first 10 months of his life. So his language development has been different than most kids. And I think it's at the point now where he like can really comprehend things. Um, so, I mean that, that like two to three age frame, they're just soaking everything up and our little parrots too. So it's more than just him repeating stuff. I think he finally understands it. Um, so that, that would be just from my own personal experience. Mm -hmm, He's my only mm -hmm. child. So it's hard to <laughs> compare to anything. No, else. that's, it's a really good point. If you were to have your sort of perfect world, when would a parent of, let's say, a typically developing child talk to their child about the differences they may see in the world so that they are more inclusive and they aren't concerned or scared when they see somebody who's different from them? Yeah, I think probably still that like two to three age frame when, mm -hmm. you know, kids are really starting to be around their peers more, whether, I mean, some people stay at home with their kids and they aren't in daycare, but like, I know for Cooper specifically, kids at daycare started having questions. And if you have a two-year-old, if you have a three-year-old, you know that the questions are just like a never ending. That's thing. right. Why? But why? But why? <laughs> right. And so that's, that's kind of what, you know, led to me was seeing his own curiosity, but also seeing the curiosity of kids that he was around. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really do think even from a young age, like they're, they're just capable of so much more than we necessarily might think they are. I agree with that. And we also know that children aren't developing these fears and these, these feelings of hate by, by just being born that way. We, we are feeding into them or 
we are not. We're we're having a situation where a child is on the playground or in school and they point to a child or they come to their parent and they say, why is that child walking with crutches? Why is that child spinning in circles? So in that moment, a lot of parents are don't know what to say because they're worried that they're going to offend somebody or they don't know what to say because they don't know the answer. They don't know what's going on with this child. So as a parent of a child who has special needs, what would you hope somebody would do in a particular situation that happens to so many parents to, to help them navigate that tough situation? Yeah. I mean, and it's like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So as a parent, it can be hard to answer questions when That's you right. literally don't know. Right. Um, so I've run into both situations where like, I can tell that a kid's asking a question and the parent might not know. And in those moments, I'm confident enough in myself and my knowledge that I'll kind of step in and explain things in a, you know, either in a kid-friendly way or to the adult. Um, and more often than not, they're very receptive of that. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of just being willing to do that if that's the type of person that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a parent, also being able to say like, I don't know, maybe we can ask them or mm-hmm. maybe we can, you know, look it up when we get home, you know, being honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know is a completely reasonable thing to say. And that if you don't know, it's often okay to ask questions. Is there a time when you would say, you shouldn't ask questions. Like maybe that child doesn't want somebody to ask about it. Maybe they're not comfortable or they, you know, they're trying to just feel like everybody else in that moment. Is there a time where we should step back and say, we're not going to ask that question right now? Or would you say it's typically okay? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously if you're just a normal day on a playground, you know, with your kids type of thing. It's a totally different situation than like if you're at school during an event and something's going on, or if what you're seeing is more of a behavioral um, aspect where maybe the child is, you know, in the midst of a meltdown and they're nonverbal and it's, you can tell that it's a stressful situation and your child's asking about it. I think obviously at that point, like you're not going to want to invite questions for um, responses from the parent or child themselves. Um, And I think a lot of that just kind of comes down to those social cues and being able to like read the room a little bit, which I know not everybody, especially children always possess. Um, But, you know, saying maybe we can do a little bit of research on this when we get home and I can try to give you an answer then versus just being like, it's not the time to ask questions. Right. And it could also be a time where you are able to say to your child, there are so many different things that that children might use crutches for? Like, what do you think uh, that a child might use crutches for? Oh, remember your brother broke his leg once. That was a reason why they used crutches. But there are other reasons. Sometimes kids can't walk and they were born that way. And being able to then use that kind of language so that they understand that this is this can be a difference in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's temporary, sometimes it's permanent, sometimes it's 
has an extended period of time and then a child learns to walk on their own because their development has been delayed and that that would be a time where you could say if you're curious about that then we can we can look those kinds of reasons up why would somebody use crutches would you want to be able to do that so even if it's not specific to that child it can be the impetus to talk about something more globally uh, and and get that child on board. Would you agree with that? Yeah, being able to just relate things back to what they know um, is kind of like one of the main things that I like to mention too. I mean, a lot of kids, you know, know what glasses are. They know that they help you see. And that's not something mm -hmm. that they like question that often. And so when I do see kids, you know, wondering what's on Cooper's head or what, you know, what's going on, I like to say, you know, they're kind of like glasses, but for his ears, like glasses oh. help you see and these help him hear. And yeah. more often than not, that's the perfectly acceptable answer and they get it. And it's simple enough for the younger kids. But, you know, then you have the, like kind of eight to 12 age range where like they want to know more. They want to understand mm -hmm. how it works. Yeah. And so I think it really depends on the, the age of the child that you're talking to as well. So what about for the child who is who has the difference? that as they're becoming more verbal, as you've mentioned, and now Coop is three years old and more questions start to come, but why did this happen? But why am I unable to hear without these and somebody else can hear without cochlear implants or for another child, why do I have cerebral palsy and somebody else doesn't? How are we to address the questions when it's the child themselves who are curious about the reason why they are the way that they are? Yeah, I think that's a tough situation too, because I mean, even as adults, we find ourselves asking those questions. Right. Um, and my, my approach to parenting and with Cooper specifically has always been to just be honest and treat the topic in a mature way. So like, even though he is little and he's three, I just say, you know, something in your DNA, which I talk about in my book too, and explain it in like a kid-friendly way is a little bit different. And that's how, why you can't hear, but mom can. And, you know, he's, he's at the age where it's like, that's, you know, that's enough, even if he doesn't fully understand it yet, maybe, but I think it's instilling that confidence too, to be like, this is who I am. This is what these are. And, you know, that's, he's a very, confident spirited kid on his own. So I think that plays into it as well, but, um, it's something that I'm mindful of too, just knowing that he will have to answer questions. Right. Right. So as he's getting older and as the, the parents who are listening, their children are getting older, what kind of information would you want them to have about themselves when classmates, when you're not around, are asking questions. This has happened to my my best friend's child, Nate, one of my best friend's children. Um, he used to get asked all the time, you know, why do you walk that way? Um, or why, you know, why is this this way? Uh, and and I'm curious how how would you imagine parents handle it? I know that my friend would go into class and actually talk to them about it in the beginning of the year. Uh, and that would start things off. How, how would you uh, advise parents to handle these kinds of situations so that their the classmates are on board and understand what what uh, is going on and have a lot of their questions answered? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a great idea. I know of some parents who have done that as well. Um, and when the kids are younger, you know that 
works. They're not <laughs> embarrassed of you yet. They think it's awesome to have mom at school type of thing. Um, and again, you know, it depends on the child and the age, but I think having the ability to go back to, um, like, like the logistics of it, the knowledge of it, him being able to explain, like when these are attached to my head, I can hear. And when they aren't, I can't. And like I said, age again, elementary schoolers find that so neat. Yes. Yeah. Like it's like a superpower. almost. (laughs) That's right. You're like robotic. It's amazing. Yeah. But I think, you know, as you shift into those hard middle school years and high school years, and just thinking back to that myself, I think there's a lot more room for people to, you know, kids to be a little bit more cruel and make differences Mm -hmm. into a bad thing instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to instill in him. And that's something that obviously we, we haven't had to navigate yet. And I want to be honest about that. Like I'm not a professional Mm -hmm, (laughs) in parenting mm -hmm. middle schoolers. I don't think anybody is. We'll talk Um, again. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) We'll have lots of conversations. Um, But I think it also helps because I know specifically in our situation, we have a couple other kids in the district that are older and have cochlear implants as well that, you know, the kids maybe know or they're siblings of other people. Mm -hmm. So it's, you can kind of remind them like, Hey, you remember Mm so-and-so and and how he hears this way. Cooper has that too. Right. Um, So we, I've found that to be helpful as well. That's awesome. I, I will give you the, the uplifting situation that Nate now goes in himself and actually did a PowerPoint presentation on cerebral palsy this past year. So, you know, sometimes they take it and go with it. Um, and well, yeah, and, and you're almost already, taking away the power of somebody else, right. like, yeah, owning it. Yes. And yes, you're absolutely right. That is so true. So, okay. So we've covered what it is that we might say to our own child. And we have, we've discussed what we might say to uh, another child who's looking in. Um, What about how we deal with this ourselves? This is a tough one because even you, you mention in a lot of your information that you've given, you've been so open in your community about the struggle that you had when your child was born and you came to find out in the early months that your child was deaf. So what is the advice you have for parents of, of parents of special needs kids and, and how they can come to a place of peace? Yeah, I think there's always like just uh, so many things I can say on this. I think in the beginning I struggled a lot because I felt like not to say that it wasn't a big deal, but I felt like I was almost minimizing it for myself that Cooper was deaf thinking like, okay, there's other children out there who have these like, you know, cancer and illnesses and like these things that are worse. And I kept, I kept saying that these are worse. And I've had to come to realize like, yes, maybe something else is more serious in a different way, but like when you're not expecting something and it rocks your world, it's still your worse. And, you know, in retrospect, I can obviously say that I wouldn't change it for the world, but in the moment, like I needed to realize that and let myself feel all those feelings. But I think the next most helpful thing that I did was to research and educate and figure out like what these different communication methods looked like. And for me, the most helpful thing was connecting with other parents on social media who were raising deaf children, either using sign language or cochlear implants or both. And 
it really is such a gift that we have social media to be able to connect with these real humans who have, you know, are raising their own little humans going through these same things. And I think that was just honestly my saving grace was, you know, there were all these people so close to me, my own family and my husband, and, but we were all kind of going through it together and not really like being able to stand up and see the other side of it yet. Mm -hmm. It was scary and new and I needed somebody on the other side of it. Like there you go. Yes. Nice. How good is it to have other, other parents, you know, mothers uplifting other mothers, fathers uplifting other fathers. It's just, that is, that is really good advice. And speaking of good advice, what would you say is your best piece of advice that you'd have for parents to begin navigating these tough conversations? Yeah, I think honestly, like, and I, it's because I'm raising a deaf child and I was told to do this. Like I talk about everything all the time and narrate everything. And I think that's why Cooper's speech has developed as well as it has, because I just talk constantly. And so, (laughs) which is funny because I'm kind of an, like an introverted person. So at the end of the day, I'm just like, but um, I think, you know, I, I talk about, you know, the grass is green and we see trees and da da da. But mm-hmm. I also, you know, if we've like encountered something during the day, I talk about it in the car on the way home and say like, you know, oh, did you see that little girl that had glasses just like you mm-hmm. or be able to like relate those things back, even when mm-hmm. it's not something in that specific moment. Um, and I think that just kind of goes back to like, not, not discounting, you know, that just because of their age, things aren't thinking in because they totally mm-hmm. are. And I'm guilty of that sometimes too, because Cooper does lean so much on spoken language that sometimes I feel like when I'm using sign language, like he's just not learning it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he'll turn around two days later and he'll know the sign for it. So it's like, yes. even though I thought he wasn't paying any attention, it clearly was, you know, sinking in. That's how it is for many children. You know, you're talking, <laughs> you talk and you talk and you talk and you're like, this did not sink in. And then like a couple of days later, I have teenagers and, and at this point, like, I'm preteen and a and teenager. And, uh, and it's like, all of a sudden she's telling her friend, like advising her friend in the same way I advised <laughs> her like two weeks before. And I was like, huh, like, hmm. all right. You were listening uh, to that. So I guess it, talking about everything is like the, is, is perfect for us, right? Like it, it makes it so much easier, but I want to just pull out something that you said and highlight it that while we're talking about differences, yes, we're talking about the difference, but we're also trying to talk about what makes us similar so that the child sees, yes, there are these differences, but there's also these things that are the same. And I feel like in your book, you do this too, even in these little tiny paragraphs about each child and how that, how they are different, that you say things, you know, you can see that the child is, is doing art or, you know, Mm -hmm. that they like to, you know, line up things by color, or these are things that other kids may relate to. So I like the idea of yes, highlighting the difference, but also highlighting some similarities. Is that purposeful for you? Yeah. And it's funny that you bring that up because so obviously, you know, the book's not like out in the hands of other people yet. So really the only kids that I've read it with are Cooper and then my little cousin's little girl, but to read it with Cooper, it's so funny because he'll just, he'll, you know, open the page about like Phoenix who has diabetes Mm -hmm. and he'll be like, Oh, he's coloring and he has red and blue and green. And he like, doesn't even see the differences. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's what I've encountered a lot with kids too. Like I thought kids would have so many more questions about what is on Cooper's head. And Mm -hmm. 
more times than not, they just are like interested in something else completely that he's doing. <laughs> I will say that sometimes that, that happens later on, like, it'll be like, everything's normal and they're like not seeing anything. And then two weeks later, you'll all of a sudden they'll be like, Hey, remember that kid <laughs> or, and, yeah. and, or you read the book again which we find, you know, I found certainly with my kids, because we read about everything when we were, when the kids were little and there was every topic I felt like we were talking about. And the first time or the second time, it was so much like that, like, oh yeah, I like to do that too. And then as we would go on, there may be more questions or I remember reading one book with, uh, with my children and then it had to have been two years later that we met a child that was like the child in the book. That's like that child. Do you know, remember that book? And I'll, you go, huh, look at that. That worked. So, you know, I think your book really does provide such a, a, a starting point for kids that there are all these differences and that you may be able to say, oh, remember Phoenix in the book? that he had diabetes. Now, oh, now your cousin just got diagnosed with diabetes. Then you, you know, you start to do that similar, those similarities. So that's really neat. Will you finish this sentence for me? In order to create a more accepting world for all of our children, we must talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I agree <laughs> with you. When we don't talk about it, that's when the walls go up, right? I mean, that's when we wind up with fear. We wind up with all these unknowns. We wind up showing and telling our child, we shouldn't talk about that. Like, don't even look that way. Right. And, and that can be really concerning. Would you agree? Yeah. I think that just instills the whole, like, you know, shame and hiding things and like down the road, if, you know, something happens and your child is in that position, they then think it's something to be hidden and Mm. shamed. And I think just being open and, you know, having those hard conversations and sometimes they are going to be hard. I mean, if it's something, somebody close to you is diagnosed with cancer and it's a child and you have to figure out how to navigate that and answer questions from your child, like, are they going to die? Like the really deep questions that I for me, I've never tried to hide my emotions from Cooper. And I've taken some heat for that as well. Like he shouldn't see you cry that hard. He shouldn't, you know, and it's Mm. like, I get that, but he also is developing so much empathy Mm. by seeing a parent who shows him how they're feeling and explains it and apologizes when she needs to. And I just, I think that there's a lot more benefits to be had in handling things that way with every range of emotion versus Mm -hmm. none at all. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, absolutely. And when we're showing kids that it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be really upset. It's okay to be really angry and, and express these things in ways that convey the emotion without hurting other people. These are really important skills. Give us your top tip. What do you hope that people come away with after hearing this podcast, after reading your uh, children's book with, with their children? What do you hope that they come away with? I think what I've already touched on being that like, there's not a perfect time. There's not an age that you need to wait until to start 
talking. You might have to adjust how you talk about it, mm-hmm. but kids are just sponges. And obviously as he grows up and his language acquisition grows and his ability to really comprehend and ask questions grows, like my responses and my explanations are going to have to change as well. That's right. That's and I right. think that's something that obviously I'm, I'm more than willing to do. And it's, just like people say, you know, it's so fun to watch your kids learn. I never understood that before I became a parent. I was just kind of like, okay, it's fun. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, I get it. Like when you see those wheels move and connect and they're able to like bring an ideal for, and I can't talk idea full circle. It's just so neat to like, see that everything firing like that. And I think that's why I love having these conversations with him already, because I can tell that like in the future, they're going to just keep getting better. And maybe part of that is harder too, but you know, he's going to be a well-rounded and kind and compassionate and empathetic human. And that's what I want. Yes, absolutely. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and your book and your community? Yeah. My, my whole life is on (laughs) bethandcoop.com. So all of my information about my book and the pre-order and kind of the background in our entire story. Um, more information about, you know, me, myself, and then links to social media where you can see Coop just being a total ham. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I will be putting the links uh, on, on our show notes. So anybody who's running around or in the car, don't worry, I got you. It'll all be up on drrobinsilverman.com. And I just want to thank you, Beth, for, for talking to us today and sharing your book with me. I loved getting my, my pre, my preview (laughs) of your book. Uh, You should be very proud of it. And I think it's a great way to springboard some great discussions with our kids and, uh, uh, thank you for sharing it with us today. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, doing what you do and opening the doors to those conversations and navigating everything that comes along with parenting and raising a human. Well, I'm doing my best and, uh, you know, it takes us all, right? <laughs> it takes us all. <laughs> well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can go up to Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com on, on, I'm under Dr. Robin. I'm also on inter- Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman and TikTok, which I'm just starting and it's really hard. So if you can follow me, um, you would be really doing me a favor because I'm just starting. I'm going to be going back and forth with Beth uh, this whole week talking about her book and all the great things that she's been doing in her community and Coop. And I hope you will get on board. I'm going to be creating memes of some of the things she said, and we'll be able to share those with all different kinds of people. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so that other people can hear uh, what Beth has to say, all the things that she's doing about her community. Those five-star reviews really make a huge difference and will say, hey, everybody, this is something to listen to. And the more we listen to it, the more we can have a more accepting world for all of our kids. I hope you will do that. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts in the show notes to this podcast. will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but usually 
there's a tomorrow because parenting provides an ultimate do-over so much of the time. I see you and I'm right there with you. And you may have heard something today and you thought, oh, I did not handle that correctly. Or I remember that child at the playground and my child asked a question and I told them to shush. You can go back to those situations. You can say, oh, remember that child we saw on the playground and I didn't answer your question. I want to answer it now. You can always go back. You can do that. There are going to be moments where we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity. But please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.